TGIM Team RE. This is episode 283. One of the biggest hurdles was that I was just in that stage of, yes, I know I'm very, very aware, almost frustrating how aware I am that it is an issue, but not quite getting to that action stage where I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Heidi. Heidi took her last drink on May 20th, 2020. She is from San Diego and she is 28 years old. Heidi's story highlights how this journey is not a straight line. Many of us struggle with an internal push-pull as we are deciding to commit to an alcohol-free life. And I just want to accentuate that this is totally normal. The path is many times bumpy, and I want to make sure that the shame and the stigma around what a perfect recovery journey needs to look like is addressed on here. So thank you, Heidi, for sharing with us so honestly and so candidly. Quick side note, it's been brought to my attention that there are a few listeners out there who aren't necessarily struggling with alcohol themselves, but who have a loved one who is struggling and listeners that are normal drinkers are choosing to tune in for educational purposes. So first of all, welcome normies. Yes, we have a nickname for you. Think of it as an endearment term. Endearment? Endearing term. (laughs) Second language problems, guys. Welcome normies. Second of all, you're amazing for showing up here, for wanting to help, for wanting to get educated, for being open to see through a different lens. And lastly, I wanted to ask, would you be interested in joining a Normie Drinkers Cafe RE group? Perhaps a group where we can discuss helpful tools and information around how to help and better understand people who are struggling with alcohol? If this is something you're interested in, shoot me an email at odette at recoveryelevator.com and let me know. I would love to connect with you all and perhaps create a group. Alrighty, let's get going with this. Some of you may know that one of my favorite resources for this journey is a book by an author named Melody Beattie. Melody Beattie specializes in codependency, and I first got referred to her when my dad went into rehab. She wrote this book called The Language of Letting Go, and this book is like my little treasure chest. My copy's super old. It's highlighted all over. It has doodles from my six-year-old and some notes that I've written on the margins. I really cherish this book. The format is super simple and clear. Each page has a passage written on it, and each passage corresponds to a date. The book runs with passages from January 1st to December 31st. The passages touch on self-care, boundaries, healthy coping skills, relationships, basically everything that you want to know. Every day, I read the corresponding passage, and when the year is over, I start again. Each year, different passages hold different meanings depending on what's going on in my life. I find that people ask about this book every single time I post about it on Instagram, and I really do feel like this book is for everyone. People who struggle with addiction, normies, sober curious people, you name it. It's the most valuable thing that I've bought on Amazon for just $11. My point of all of this is not just recommending a resource, but I also wanted to share that when I find myself reading a passage that really resonates with me on a certain day, I have this feeling that I'm like, I have to share this with everybody. 
the world must listen. <laughs> I typically just go on the video option on Facebook inside of our Cafe RE groups and I read the passage and I just share it with everyone. I call this story time with Odette. So today I'm doing a story time with Odette within the podcast. I decided I'm not going to share today's passage of the language of letting go, but instead I'm going to read a children's book. This book is my favorite in our kids' library. It makes me cry. It makes me feel hope. And every time I read it to my kids, I want to share it with the world. So I figured this was my chance. This book is called, What Do You Do With a Problem? And it's written by Kobe Yamada. I'll make sure Katie links this book and Melody Beattie's book onto the show notes. Ready? Here we go. What do you do with a problem? I don't know how it happened, but one day I had a problem. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. I really didn't like having a problem but it was there. Why is it here? What does it want? What do you do with the problem, I thought. I wanted to make it go away. I shooed it. I scowled at it. I tried ignoring it, but nothing worked. I started to worry about my problem. What if it swallows me up? What if my problem sneaks up and gets me? What if it takes away all of my things? I worried a lot. I worried about what would happen. I worried about what could happen. I worried about this and I worried about that. And the more I worried, the bigger my problem became. I wished it would just disappear. I tried everything I could to hide from it. I even found ways to disguise myself, but it still found me. And the more I avoided my problem, the more I saw it everywhere. I thought about it all the time. It didn't feel good at all. I couldn't take it anymore. This has to stop, I declared. Maybe I was making my problem bigger and scarier than it actually was. After all, my problem hadn't really swallowed me up or attacked me. I realized that I had to face it. So even though I didn't want to, even though I was really afraid, I got ready and I tackled my problem. When I got face to face with it, I discovered something. My problem wasn't what I thought it was. I discovered it had something beautiful inside. My problem held an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to learn and grow, to be brave, to do something. It showed me that it was important to look closely because some opportunities only come once. So now I see problems differently. I'm not afraid of them anymore because I know their secret. Every problem has an opportunity for something good. You just have to look for it. The end. All right, eso es todo. That's story time with Odette on the Recovery Elevator podcast. And before we hear from Heidi, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, Get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 
15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Heidi, how are you? Hello. Thank you. Thank you. I am doing very well. How about you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for asking. And let's get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink, Heidi? So my last drink was May 20th of 2020. So technically this is day 19 for me. May 20th, 2020. I like that date. What do you think of that date? Yeah, I know. I was just thinking about that um, before hopping on here. I didn't actually know the dates. I've only been counting the days so far, so it's kind of nice to think of the actual date, and it's, it's a pretty easy one to remember. So 5-20-20 is it's a good date. Yeah, mine's eight, like December 18th, 2018. So we kind of share that like day and year yeah. matchup. <laughs> easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> and then can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And for our golden rule number 22, what do you like to do for fun? So I am from Southern California, San Diego. So I think we have that in common, um, or at least where you've been living. I know you're from Mexico. So I'm from San Diego. I've kind of lived all over the place. Right now I'm in Orange County, so about an hour and a half north. Spent a little bit of time in the Midwest for graduate school. I am 28 years old. I, uh, I work in career services, so I help students in the college age figure out really what they want to do with their lives, particularly in the health and behavioral sciences. So I work with a lot of students who want to become medical professionals, doctors, nurses, psychologists, psychiatrists, sport professionals, physical therapists, all of that, really uh, anything along the health professions. And I love, love, love what I do. I also teach adjuncts. So I've been a professor for about three years in career services. And then I kind of have multiple roles that I fulfill. I'm also a personal, I'm not a personal trainer, but um, a CrossFit coach and a group fitness leader. So I've had many different roles. Uh, My full-time role is my career services path, but I like to take on multiple projects and, and jobs and opportunities and really like to fulfill all of those different things. I am married. So I actually just got married on March 7th of 2020, right before COVID really took over the world, so to speak. So we were very, very lucky in the sense that nothing was altered for our plans. All of our family guests were able to make it. It really was that next week. It just started resurfacing in the news. So it really was that next week where it really started to get out of hand and everything shutting down and all of that. So we feel very, very fortunate. So I'm just married. Actually, yesterday marked three months. So very new into marriage. And as for what I like to do for fun, so I do live in Southern California, so really close to the beach and coastline. I actually just came back from the beach. It's a nice high 80 degree day here today. So beach is always fun, really just anything active. Um, I think I'm still trying to figure that out since a lot of time was spent being in San Diego in that area. There's so many breweries, so many wineries, and that used to be kind of my go-to is, hey, let's find a new brewery. Let's find a new place to go, a new restaurant, a new happy hour. So in that front, I'm still figuring that out. And it's been, I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, there hasn't been too much temptation to have to be able to go do that anyway. But but yeah, anything outdoors, anything um, used to have a really theatrical background. So anything along the lines of seeing music, plays, concerts, spending time with family and friends 
And I do love, love working out and being part of my gym community as well. What has been your favorite play that you've watched? Oh my gosh. So I'm a huge Broadway fan. I love Wicked. I've seen it multiple times uh, in New York and out in LA, San Diego. I recently saw the last time I was in New York, I saw The Waitress. And if any, if, the, if anyone is a Jason Mraz or Sarah Borelli's uh, fan, Sarah Borelli's um, wrote the soundtrack to that, to The Waitress. And when I was in New York, I saw um, Jason Mraz star or he was a guest star in that um, as one of the the lead actors so it was actually really fun I had saw um, Jason Mraz sing and act for the you know first time of his Broadway debut so I love The Waitress and I love Wicked I would say are two of my top but the list can go on and on it would take take me all day there's so many good plays that plays, yes. plays in concerts. I'm like, oh my gosh, the day that we go back to listening to music live with a lot of people and just sitting watching a good play. My favorite is Dear Evan Hansen, watched it here in San oh, Diego. So yeah. great. But I just, I had to ask you, and it sounds like other than our sobriety dates kind of matching on the month and year motif, we also have a lot more in common than, than just that. <laughs> I love what you shared about just loving being outside and it really does sound like you have an amazing job. I just felt inspired just listening to it and it sounds like you're filled with interactions of people that are always inspired and motivated and a lot of purpose in your life. Oh, thank you. Yes, there's nothing more to me purposeful and especially now in a pandemic with students graduating and trying to find jobs and just finding their own purpose. It is truly, truly impactful to, you know, find a freshman, a young 17 or 18 year old that comes in, has no idea what they want to do. And then just being able to really help them craft and refine that throughout their three or four years. And especially in the health and behavioral sciences, um, and especially now, and my background is in psychology and sports psychology. So I really enjoy, enjoy what I do. Yes, very, very meaningful. Oh, I like that. Thank you for sharing. And now let's go on to your story. Give listeners some background on your history with drinking, when did you start? When did you realize alcohol was a problem and just not serving your goals anymore? Yeah. So I actually remember at a super young age, obviously drinking did not take place then. I was around four or five years old. But I just distinctly remember this memory of being on a camping trip with my family. And I remember sitting on my dad's lap and at some point tasting a sip of a beer. And I don't know why or how I even remember that being four or five years old. Of course, that wasn't anything along the lines of, you know, enjoying it. It was just simply a fact that I, I was kind of, you know, I just tasted a beer. That's just kind of what it was. And then I remember even being younger, middle school, never really being interested in it. You know, my parents would have a glass of wine with dinner and I, you know, they'd offer at some point, you know, just to say, oh, do you want to smell it? Do you want to taste it? And of course, no, that's disgusting. And why would I want to sip a wine? It really wasn't until... I remember it was a friend's 16th birthday. We were on like a limo party bus around San Diego, super probably irresponsible now that I'm thinking of it, right? We had water bottles full of, you know, Malibu or somebody trying to figure out who had this mysterious water bottle full of whatever it was. I just knew it was some sort of alcohol. And I remember distinctly that really being my first time drinking and just enjoying kind of that suspicion or forbidden fruit you know not everybody got to take a sip from this mysterious water bottle kind of thing and from there I really didn't have too many 
experiences in early high school. It was probably around my junior, senior year of high school. So age, you know, 16, 17, 18, where, um, you know, most weekends it was some sort of party, something was going on, spring break, summers. But I was always very, very serious about my studies, serious about being involved, very, very into my athletics. I ran cross country and track, very avid athlete my whole entire life. So to me, it was always, okay, I can do this on the weekends, but it's never going to interfere with my life. Fast forward into college, same thing, nothing ever changed with, I would say, you know, taking anything less seriously, never letting it get in the house. And I just remember always just kind of coming, coming home from, you know, my university and just taking, you know, multiple beers from their fridge and just drinking and, you know, even applying for graduate school while drinking, drinking bottles of wine before even, you know, going to a a 7am running practice the next morning. I remember I kind of started to think where it just became such a routine habit and that nothing was even being impacted in a negative way. So I always heard, you know, we hear these stories of, oh, well, your your work is fine. Your life is fine. Your relationships are fine. So I never really thought there was any issue. But that, that was the first time I really questioned it was late college. And I remember at the time speaking to my coach, I was a team captain on a cross country national winning team. And I mentioned to him, you know, I think I have a drinking problem. And I remember I said, you know, I'm drinking a bottle of wine a night, if not sometimes more. And, you know, the first thing that he said, it was almost normalizing it. He said, oh, well, your workouts are fine. You're still qualifying for all these high competitive events. You're doing great. You're applying to graduate schools. You're getting in, you know, you're doing all the right things. So, you know, he almost kind of brushed it off. So I think for the longest time, And I was also that perfect age where, you know, it's just so normalized. So while I, that was the first inkling that I thought I had a problem and then I quickly dismissed it because, you know, someone that I I tried to reach out for help, I tried to really start making, making an effort to a mentor and he almost dismissed it and said, oh, well, you're still doing fine. So for the longest time, the best way to describe it is that I could just have my cake and eat it too. No matter what I thought, you know, fine, I can drink copious amounts of alcohol and I can still show up at 7am the next day I can still you know kick butt in my studies and my schoolwork and really that just went on and on for years and years until you know more recently I won't get into every single part of my story but but yeah that's that was really the first time and that was almost at least eight or so years ago now so it took me quite a lot of up and down moved across the country to the Midwest. And if you've ever been in the Midwest or any of the Midwest listeners out there know, when it's negative 30 degrees for, you know, months on end, there's not much that, you know, folks will be doing other than drinking. And I mean, that really definitely ramped up my drinking with the years that I spent out in the Midwest. There was always an excuse. I have a question for you. I want to I want to backtrack because you've given a lot of great information here. I know a lot of us have that dialogue of like, I wonder if this is normal. And I'm curious when you shared with your mentor and wanted that feedback from him and he said, no, you're totally fine. You're not being affected by this. Was there some sort of inner knowing your brain probably was like, yes, that means I can keep going. But inside, did you question like, no, there's still something that I'm curious about. Or was your, where was your awareness at that point? Did you, did you have questions? Did you doubt him a little bit? Or was it just like you needed that validation and it was easier to believe him? So I think you hit the nail on, on the head on, on both of those. Um, yes, I definitely still knew internally, but then it, it almost seemed like a free pass. Like, oh, okay, well, 
I went out and I told somebody now he says I'm fine. So I'm fine. You know, so it was kind of like I still did know internally, but it was kind of like, okay, well, he approves. So and he was a huge still a huge mentor to me. So how long can I just ride this wave? I'm still young. That's a huge I mean, even now to this day, it's it's definitely being younger and trying to tackle it at a younger age, even before my 30s. That's been a huge player too. you know, how long can I ride this wave? Oh, well, I'll have time in the future. I'll just wait till X year X age, you know. So absolutely. Yes, I think it was both of those things. And that's even happened to me even more recently to coworkers. I mean, I'm, I'm an open book. So I'll, you know, most of all of my very close friends will know, or have known that this has been a struggle for me. And then even coworkers that, you know, they're good friends, I've told them, and they've still said, Oh, well, no, you know, you show up to work every day. Oh, no, you know, you're still doing great. But internally, of course, I've known and for probably those last at least six, at least really, really seriously, the past, um, probably two to three years where it's really, really gotten out of hand, that I've really needed to take a serious look at it. Yeah, if you think about it, it's actually harder sometimes. I don't want to generalize everyone's story is unique, but it's harder to get to the place of full knowing that you have to stop when it feels like you are getting validation right and left from friends, from culture, from from you comparing maybe your life with other people that everyone else is kind of doing the same thing. So like you said, you could probably go on for decades. And that's the thing about alcohol. It's a slow progression. So you could keep going. But there's something about that inner knowing. And I'm really glad that you arrived to that place before your 30s. I mean, you're 28. You're so young. And you said about two years ago. And just walk us through that last little chunk and how you arrived at just your last your mm-hmm. recent date of May 19th and 2020. What was that day like? Did you have a rock bottom or what happened? Yeah, so I I think the last really what happened was the last couple of years I was I was kind of riding that wave through college and through graduate school and then once I really started working full time, you know, moving back to California, kind of noticed that these routines of, you know, compulsively one thing I should mention um I'm very, I've always had this compulsion. So I'm technically OCD, but more with that compulsion factor. So that's definitely something that's, I struggled with self-harm as a kid. So I feel like the second that drinking came into play, I know this is a little bit off on a tangent, but the second that drinking came into play, I feel like the self-harm compulsion to fix whatever uncomfortable feelings were happening at that time as a you know young teenager then translated into drinking. So I feel like once I got into the working world, it was kind of socially accepted to just, oh, step, you know, grab a bottle of wine on the way home. And then that became, you know, a bottle of wine a night became every night became over a bottle of wine a night became switching to liquor and hard alcohol and vodka because less calories, less I have to drink all that so on and so forth. So I feel like the last couple of years, it's just become such a routine. And I've still been riding that that wave of wanting to have my cake and eat it too. still doing great. My relationships weren't really suffering, still just kind of living life and not really seeing negative impacts, even though I knew in the back of my mind that it was still just kind of progressive. Like you said, it definitely is a progressive disease and concern that that people have. So I think what really happened was at the time I wasn't married, wasn't engaged yet. My now husband moved up with me to Orange County where I live. And um, because we had done long distance, so a number of years from from the time I lived out in the Midwest. And I feel like what happened was 
We definitely egg each other on with our drinking. And I know that this is something that I've heard from a lot of other stories as well, is that when you have that drinking partner, it's just so easy to, hey, I'm going to get wine on the way home. And then that turns into two bottles and we're sharing, you know, multiple drinks or just for, you know, for a random Wednesday night taking shots of vodka. Oh, well, you're going to take a shot. I'm going to take a shot. And then that just kind of goes back and forth like this game, you know, like for no reason, just you know, sitting around taking shots of vodka on a Wednesday night. So I think what really happened was I ended up leaving a really great job and entered a very, very miserable job. And I think anyone that's been in a job where you walk into it thinking one thing, thinking it's a step up, a great opportunity, and it becomes the exact opposite. I never knew how much a job, a miserable job, could really consume you. And I really, really attribute that job that I had for only about eight months. But those eight months that I had that job was just so, so miserable day in and day out that it was like, I could not wait to get home and drink because that was the only thing I could control. So I felt like I couldn't control my work situation. So the second I got home, it was like pound the drinks, pound the vodka, pound the wine, whatever it is. And then I also had my drinking partner. And so we were kind of just tag teaming that. And I think that really, really ramped up to where, you know, there were nights where I would drink, I mean, over a bottle of vodka, just whatever the standard size, not the small, not the, I'm not even sure the fifth, whatever the size is of the normal. And I remember coming out the next day and asking my now husband saying, did you even know I was drinking last night? You know, and he was like, no, I didn't even know because I would just be hiding it in a closet and taking swigs, coming back out, taking another swig. And I've been known to be hiding. I've been known to be found, you know, chugging whatever it is in the corner at a party or chugging whatever it is in the bathroom or in the kitchen, you know, hiding beneath the sink kind of a thing. So, you know, I noticed how even, you know, even my own partner didn't even know how much I was drinking because I wasn't even impacted that much, you know? And so I think that miserable job situation really, really ramped it up for both of us. And I know, you know, I've definitely been the the more encouraging one in that sense. I've always been the one, even if I've said, hey, I need you to tell me not to drink or tell my friends. I knew that I was always counting on other people to police me. And I knew that it wasn't their job. I knew it had to come from me. And I knew I could always talk him into, to, to letting me drink or talk my friends and, oh, well, it's my choice. I'm just going to live with it. So I think more recently, what really led up to it was I feel like last summer, it started to really, really impact my family relationships and my own relationship. And so I've always said, okay, my work's fine. My physical fitness is fine. Everything's going great. But the second that my relationship with my mother, my, you know, my relationship with my siblings and my parents and my own now husband, um, you know, everything really started crumbling and family members making comments and things like that really, really got to me where I really took a serious look at it probably this last fall. So November and Octo- October, November-ish timeframe of 2019 is when I really started seeking professional help about it. But as you know, I mean, as my date, not even until this May, one of the biggest hurdles was that I was just in that stage of, yes, I know I'm very, very aware, almost frustrating how aware I am that it is an issue, but not quite getting to that action stage where I just couldn't, I couldn't get it, you know, couldn't get past this thing really until honestly, more recently. And I think a big, big part of that was to do with my wedding. And although it's not an excuse, I mean, I told my therapist, my psychiatrist, I was just so dead set in my way of, 
well, no, I have a bachelorette party. Well, no, I have a bridal shower. No, I have a wedding. I'm not going to not drink on my wedding. And there were all these little check boxes in my head at such a young age. How am I going to be sober at my wedding? How am I going to be sober at my bachelorette? It was almost like, although I'm not proud that it was this check point of, okay, after the wedding, I'll take care of it, you know, but it, it kind of was. And then we launched right into the pandemic and COVID. And yes, I absolutely ramped up my drinking at first, um, like many of us probably did. Because to me, it was never the outward parties or happy hours. It was always the random Tuesday nights at home. Always. That's always when it got out of control. Over two bottles deep, you know, passed out in the kitchen at 2 a.m., finally crawling back to bed. It was never, ever, ever usually those public events. I could always keep it together then. It was just those random Tuesday or Thursday or Sunday nights where it really, really got to me. And so, you know, leading up to that, never really had a public rock bottom, but I've had very, very many relational, I mean, almost every fight or every quarrel with my husband, every single time there's a common denominator, we always know that somehow alcohol is involved. And it just, you know, got to a point where I saw um, not to promote, I mean, definitely promote this, the six week course, but that's really honestly, what it took is this six week course that I just, you know, signed up for with Cafe RE. And it's been the first time I've intently really, really put forth the effort without trying to have my cake and eat it too. I said, you know what, I need to give this a full effort. And if you know, I hadn't had the support and the accountability that I have now. So I attribute that really to this six week course for for getting this far because I knew I could get maybe a couple of days, but I could never get past those days one, two or three. So getting to that weak point and then now tell me, you know, 20 days ago that you're going to be 20 days in, I honestly would not have believed it. Yay. Kudos for you. Yeah. I hope you are like giving yourself a huge pat on the back and you dropped amazing value bombs right now. I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about mm-hmm. you. You mentioned self-harm and I really appreciate you being an open book. And I just want to talk a little bit about how the brain is a very smart organ and ultimately it wants us to survive and it's trying to help even though when when it's hurting us. And I feel like what you shared is very relevant because it may not be self-harm. It may be another behavior like eating or compulsive shopping or excess porn watching. I mean, talk about all of these coping mechanisms that people have. But I feel like the brain is very smart because the moment you switch gears and you say, okay, I don't want to do self-harm anymore. What else can I do? Or the brain even makes that decision for you. Like, oh, we probably shouldn't be practicing self-harm. What about going to three happy hours instead of two? So this is very common. And I just want to bring it up because the moment the brain and the heart and all of these feelings of discomfort come up, the brain is trying to help us survive and being like, oh, here's what you can do. Here's this lollipop that you can suck on so that you don't have to feel the discomfort. So ultimately, it's like our system is trying to help us, but then but then it doesn't. It works until it doesn't. So I, I just really wanted to thank you for sharing that because I feel like it does happen to many of us with a separate behavior. And it's important to just, I think, throw that out there that just removing the drink doesn't mean that we also remove the discomfort. Sometimes it'll bring a little bit more discomfort and then the only way out is through. So thanks for sharing that. I just I just wanted to say thank you because that was vulnerable of you to share. And I just wanted to kind of go back to that. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think definitely that that was just it ended up becoming a pattern. Um, you know, I've had so many even in these 19, 20 days, I've had so many, many epiphanies of of little things here and there. And that was definitely one of them I've, I've seen for a while. And, you know, working with the therapist and just my own awareness and observations is that. Yeah, from a young age, I remember compulsively stealing from stores as a kid. I didn't even want the items, and it was just, it was just a compulsion. And same thing with the drinking, not only to drink, but whatever it was, you know, I could not, you know, if there was even a drop of wine in there, it had to be gone. If you know, whatever it was, saying, okay, I'll make this vodka bottle last until the end of the week. Absolutely not. It's not going to go back in the fridge. I remember even more recently, before I really. Um, this May 19th date of my last drink or May 20th, I'm forgetting wh- whichever date, um, one of those two dates, the math is tricky. Um, so I remember I even leading up to that, I think it was on mother's day. I remember getting a bottle of wine just because out of habit, I didn't even really want it necessarily. And I looked at my husband and I said, this is so weird. I think I'm going to put the wine bottle back in the fridge. This is, this is really, really weird. And I think that was kind of when I really started to gain traction on, okay, I knew about the course coming up. I've really been trying to get more involved with Cafe RE. One thing I should mention is that I I actually joined Cafe RE. I paid for the membership in February, but I had not even logged on or saw if I even had access to it until May. So that just tells you that it was kind of that teeter tottering. I don't think I really wanted to go on because I didn't want to see or feel like, you know, for a long time and just for anyone else listening out there, I was constantly on, you know, the day one, two or three. And to anyone that's questioning, you know, maybe potentially joining, I really, really encourage you to do so because there's constant support and constant folks who are on day one. So regardless of where you're at, um, that was definitely a hesitation that I had even after joining in February. It took me three or however many months just to actually get on there. And now I can confidently say that it is, you know, a constant resource. So that's definitely something that's that's been helpful as yeah, well. That push pull, that internal push pull is real. And like the seed gets planted about the decision and you take two steps forward and then two steps back. And that's totally part of the process. Tell us a little bit about your experience with the course. How has it been like having these smaller groups where you have to check in every day and that extra layer of accountability? How has it been just being a, a user of this is our first course. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, I have really, really enjoyed it. So I, I love anything about connection and, and really talking to people and it, it doesn't overwhelm me. I know some folks, if you're a little more introverted or wanting to, um, you know, you ha- may have to set some boundaries and that's perfectly okay. You know, so, you know, and, and my group has been absolutely fantastic. And there's some folks who check in daily and there's some that come on every a couple of days just because, you know, it is a lot for to be checking a couple of times a day. And for those that want to post daily and post videos and we're really, it's really all about what you want to put in and what you want to get out of it. And I think it's an amazing, I've always had really great support groups, but what I haven't had is support groups who all know the same common struggle and, and one common thread. So that's where it really, really has helped because I can, you know, I'm very vocal to my best friends, to some of my family members about this, but it's hard for them to relate to this, you know, level of every single time of a day one or a relapse or some sort of drunken story that I have to explain. 
you know, they wouldn't quite get it. And so now it's just nice to have within, you know, the first couple of days and the first week, we really all, you know, after sharing intros and our stories, it's been a great, great resource. And to be very honest, I attribute a lot of that to, you know, getting to day 20 and 19 so far is really with my group, because I think the first couple of days, I really would have just, I mean, I basically started on a Thursday and, you know, my sobriety, alcohol-free life here on a Thursday and getting through that first weekend, I mean, that was really, really tough. And I, you know, I know the first 72 hours, it's really, really tricky. And so I remember, I mean, I was constantly messaging them even at, you know, bless their hearts, 9.30, 10 p.m. at night on a Saturday, they're, you know, messaging me back and giving me that support. So the course and the Zoom and all, all of those things are great. And the small groups are just even that much more of a reinforcer. I know at, you know, at a moment's notice, I can put whatever I need out there and offer whatever support I can to those who are struggling in my group as well. And it's just been a really, really supportive community. I was not I was not giving the effort to intently to to quit and just to be alcohol free until really this course kind of promoted me and kind of nudged me to do that. I think I was letting myself fall, you know, I, I actually described it to one of the smaller breakout groups a couple of weeks ago that it used to be my own, you know, how we talk about the devil and angel on our shoulders, shoulders, it's like, you know, my angel Heidi over on one side and my devil Heidi wants, you know, still wants to drink and it's battling back and forth. And I described to my group that now it's kind of just that one, you know, drunken wanting to drink Heidi. And now I have that whole, I almost picture all little faces of them, a whole bigger team of the angels on one side. So that's kind of how it's just a bigger army on that on that other side that's really trying to pull you and keep you going. Yes, that's the the strength in numbers and this idea of doing it together, not just for accountability and support, but it's like you get attached to these people and then you want them to succeed and you want to be there to watch them succeed. And of course, if you decided to not engage in the group or just leave the group or never mind, I'm just not going to do this course, then you don't get to be a part of that journey with them. So I think it's such a win-win because we are asking for help and then receiving help at the same time. And that's that's the beauty of, of accountability and support groups. So I'm really happy to know that you joined the course. And just thank you for sharing a little bit about that. I also want to talk about just the relationship at home and what what's going on at home since since you decided to get on this journey because you share even on the email that you sent us that you married your drinking buddy and someone once told me as you know I'm married as well like with your relationships you're either enabling the other person or motivating them by doing things differently and I and particularly in my own marriage, I struggled when I decided to stop drinking because a lot of dynamics at home had to change. So how has it been at home in the last 20 days? How have the dynamics been, the conversations? Can you let us know a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what has been at least helpful as as much as our current crisis and pandemic has not been ideal. It's been at least helpful with not as many social events or other external pressures to go out and do those types of things. So that's been at least helpful because as I mentioned in my intro, we love to go to breweries. We love to go out to wineries and that, you know, find a group on or some someplace new to check out. So that's at least been helpful. I think those conversations will definitely come later as we see things progress, you know, with everything opening up. But at home, honestly, I can say there's been 
a greater level of connection. And for, for the first week or two, it, it really kind of was somewhat of an epiphany was, Oh my gosh, was all we had. It was honestly almost a scarce thought for a second. Oh my gosh, was all was, was it all we had was drinking, you know, like for a very, very split second until we really started to talk about it. And we've had a couple of discussions of, you know, well, how long are you trying to go? Like he's made it clear. I'm not ever trying to control, you know, what he's doing. I, I think both of us need to decide for ourselves what's best. And he has definitely been much more on. He can absolutely have one beer. He can control what he's doing. Um, whereas I had not, I had very, very little control over that. So even right now, the conversations have been, I'd say just definitely much more genuine. And I've just been happier with how we've been able to connect and actually just pure enjoyment. An example of that would be, you know, we rode bikes a couple of weeks ago, just down to a convenience store, which typically we'd already drink before I'd be making us Oh, let's just drink wine before we even go on a bike ride at sunset. Then let's bike ride down to, you know, the convenience store, get another couple of beers to, you know, bike ride up the hill back home just for fun, like for literally no reason, you know, and now I thought, you know what, let's still go for a bike ride. And I remember we both looked at each other and we said, when is the last time we actually did this? And, you know, it was it was just we had so much more awareness. The sprinklers were on. It was sunset. We were smelling the sprinklers. It smelled like summer. We felt like kids in high school, honestly. And I remember we just went in to get ice cream or candy or something like that. And we didn't check out with any alcohol. And I remember that was an epiphany leaving that store. I almost thought the cashier was going to say something to say, oh, nothing, you know, nothing else tonight. Like, I honestly... Shocked that he didn't say anything, but he didn't. And we biked back and I thought, you know what? That is one of the most genuine, fun times that we've had in a while. And so we both recognize that. And I think he's definitely been drinking less. And I'm not, again, not asking him to not drink. I've tried to make it clear because there has been some struggles with that in the past when I first, I mean, I've tried to moderate and and drink less before. So I think he thought, especially when I first started seeking professional help through therapy and a psychiatrist, he had thought, oh, well, I need to hide my drinking then. And that's, of course, never, ever, ever the answer. Because as somebody, I mean, I always knew I would always know if he's drinking. And so that really, it wasn't always so much, what are you doing while you're drinking? It was why are you hiding this from me? I told you, you don't need to hide this from me. So there's been a lot of you know, it was definitely not easy. I'm thinking we're just now maybe trying to get a hit a stride with that. And he's been communicating how proud he is of me. And every day I'm like, wow, I'm on day, you know, X. And he's like, wow, this is so amazing. So while he's very, very supportive, it's absolutely not been an easy road. And it's still a very, very, very new road. So I'm sure we'll see more things come up. But I'm seeing we're seeing themes of more genuine conversation connection, and just you know, I'm hoping that that continues and it's less of the, you know, feeling that he needs to hide it from me. Like I can definitely go out, you can have a beer and I'm going to be fine. I've, I'm going to be fine. You know, I've been able to navigate this at least a couple of really intense times where I've really almost caved. And it really, quite honestly, was when I found that he's been hiding any sort of drinking from me. It's almost like an instant. Well, shoot, I'm just going to go drink then. And luckily I have not, but those have been the very, very most challenging parts. If he, you know, as long as we communicate with each other and he is very open and honest, then I think I can make it work. And hopefully down the road, you know, we'll both see that this is something that we can move more towards because the biggest thing for me is I want us before we start a family, I want this to be in check for definitely for me, but if not for both of us. So, yeah, I love when you said that you guys are having 
authentic and genuine conversations. And that doesn't mean that the conversations are always easy. That doesn't mean that the conversations are always smooth. But I feel like being fully present definitely will help you in terms of gaining that intimacy that you said, like, well, is it, is drinking buddies all that we are? No, like you are, you guys are newlyweds and you guys are starting to get to know each other. So I really want to commend you for, for your effort. I think you're doing an amazing thing and you don't have to convince them of anything. You can just stay on your lane and then the magic just happens and follows. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're excited what are the possibilities that you are able to now see more clearly now that you're starting to see like oh i can do this i got 20 days in what has you excited right now um i think really one of the biggest things is just that increase in i would say just liveliness i feel like in a way i feel kind of like that joyful youthful kid that i was as you know an elementary kid you know an elementary school kid or you know just I'm just like having almost these flashbacks of me as just a youth and just who I used to be versus just covering this up with so much drowning in alcohol or anything that would happen and just seeing almost more of a, a glimmer of who I used to be. So it's, it's almost just like resurfacing who I really feel like I was as, as a kid, which I know if you're doing the course or if you plan to do the course, a lot of it is about looking at that inner child, which I love, I love to think about. And I'm just excited about, as I, I mentioned before, I coach group fitness classes and just being able to wake up early and, you know, I coach at 5 a.m. and I will start doing that again soon once our gym opens. And I can't even tell you how many times, you know, I'm like half drunk coaching and just feeling awful and guilty the next, the whole next day or just hung over in work meetings and meeting with students that are probably college students hung over at the same time too. You know, it's just horrible that I just, I'm excited to not have that cloud of constantly, when will I be able to do this? Or can I do this? It's more of a confidence builder of, wow, I've been able to get this far. I really, truly, at the beginning of this six week course, my psychiatrist had told me, we're getting to two days. We're not even thinking about the six weeks because I told him outright, there's no way I'll make this six week course. I don't know what I'm even doing, but I'm just going to at least give it a shot. And so now, I mean, I'm excited to just be able to really see the possibility of that and just, you know, just keep my health in check. Because as I mentioned just previously, that's one of the biggest things that I, I really, really want to start as a new mom is to not even have this be an inkling of a, a concern or an issue. So the possibility of just being present with future kids, being present with my own husband and my own family members. That's really what excites me right now. And I think the creativity and just I used to be very, very artistic and theatrical and just, you know, it's not an act anymore. It really is my authentic. I even said yesterday, I feel so motivated to, to do something right now. I haven't done anything really all quarantined as far as new crafts or new skills, but I, I feel like I've started to kind of get that itch of I want to create something. I want to do something. So, and honestly, that's probably what really prompted me to even reach out is I love, I love talking. I love sharing. If you can't tell with my wordiness on, on really any platform. So I, I it's just excited. That's, that's really what excites me right now. I love this question because I feel like it really helps people think about their why. A lot of the people, when, when you ask them like, what's your why, what motivates you? It's you, you almost have to think about it a little more, but you just gave me so many of your whys and what motivates you and why you want to become this better version of yourself. And earlier, I want to rewind just one more time and say, 
this really started affecting you when you noticed that it was starting to affect the people in your life and those relationships. And that is such a nice realization when you're like, you know what? These people want the best for me. And this is, this isn't the best for me. It's such a reflection of, of just self care mm -hmm. and wanting more for yourself and for those that are surrounding you. So I love that. And we are at the rapid fire round. So that was quick. We could talk for a long time, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm a, definitely a talker. Yes. I love it. You're going to have to let me know next time you're in San Diego and we're going to have to meet up and have a cup Absolutely. of tea or something. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. So we've reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, I would appreciate it. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, perfect. If you could talk to day one, Heidi, what would you say to her? I would say that you can do things that you don't think are possible right now, but stick with it. And you can sit with the uncomfortable feelings of a craving and it will always be there. You can always go. If you really, really want to, I know Paul has said it before, wait 20 minutes, you know, like you can, you can get through it. It will always be there, but just see, just see what you can do and just sit with it. Just sit with it for, for one day and then you'll keep stacking those days. Yes. What are some of your favorite resources? I'm definitely still very new to the recovery world. So I would say absolutely Cafe RE. Um, I actually was introduced to it years ago and I, it took me this long to really take it seriously. I know this is 30 seconds, so I'd say Cafe RE. This Naked Mind I'm still into. Paul's book is great and I'm still learning. So I really, that's, that's what I've got for right now. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I think we say this a lot, but just be willing to, you already know what that life is like. So why not, even if it's for one day, one week, two weeks, you know, it'll always be there. So why not, you already know what that life is like. So why not just try, even for a shorter period of time, if you have to just don't think in the short term and just see what it's like. You never know until you try it and you already know what the other side is like. So why not give the other side a fair shot? All right. And before we depart, give listeners your own. You may want to ditch the booze if line. Um, so you may want to ditch the booze if you pride yourself on your Christmas shopping by banging it out all in one night just with a couple of bottles of wine and figuring out what you ordered for all your nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles when it shows up to your door and you don't even remember your one-click Amazon orders. <laughs> Definitely true stories. You were effective. <laughs> <laughs> right? Get it all done. Hey, it's something you procrastinate. Drink a bottle of wine and then you'll see what you picked out when it oh. comes to your door. <laughs> Heidi, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You made my day. It's a special day for me, listeners. This is being recorded on the day that my first episode went live with Paul. So feeling really grateful to be able to be behind the mic with you, Heidi. So thank you. Congrats on 19 days. Congrats on signing up for the course. And I'm excited to just keep learning where this is headed for you. Keep it up. Thank you very much, Odette. I am blessed to be here. And I'm really excited to see what you do on this new journey. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Thank you. Very well, Team Ari. That wraps our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to give you all a weekly challenge. Take time this week to notice what you have been putting under the category of problems in your mind. Think about those problems and try to reframe. Can you see some opportunity coming out of them? Let yourself feel hopeful about the possibilities that problems bring with them. 
They're there. You just have to look at things differently. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, this isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. I love you guys. Thank you.